So do you want to test your mic? Testing, testing. Oh, can't believe I've got you here, Micah. Oh, testing, testing. Is that okay? Yeah, I think that's fine. Okay. So welcome uh, this Shared a Gay podcast. We've got the infamous Thirsty Bitch himself. Infamous? Oh, Lord. <laughs> it is the Micah. Do you think you'd be on this podcast? Me interviewing you? Um, uh, duh, yeah. I mean, I would be offended if you hadn't <laughs> asked, to be honest. We're just trying to get you over here. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so um, I guess we're going to go by a micro because that's how people know you. Yes. Yeah, so we need to tell a bit of your story because I think a lot of people see you as being very, uh, not flamboyant, but very out there, aren't you? The look, the imagery. Mm-hmm. You're on there. If you go to uh, Michael's uh, Instagram or if you go to any of his social media, it's at Michael Engine. Yes, it's double A-M-Y-K-O. So let's start from the start then. So you're actually Chilean-based. Yes, I was uh, born in Chile and uh, I lived in Chile till I was about um, five years old. I think I was, yeah, I think I was five years old. Um, and then uh, my family moved to Dallas, Texas. Oh, nice. In the U.S., yes. And it was quite a, a big difference because... Um, you know, when you're five, you're 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 just starting to kind of like pick up certain things. You know, you're just starting to, you know, um, kind of like get a feel for where you're living. You know, yeah, of course. And when 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 we moved to the U.S., it was so completely different. But, from, but why is it you moved there? Because my uh, my my um, dad has five brothers, and one of the brothers, wow. yeah. One of the brothers was living there, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, you know, you have to come here and everything." And I can, and I can back back then, yeah, in the seventies. Oh, yes. <laughs> How we're old talk, are you, bitch? We're talking about this. <laughs> back in the seventies, <laughs> immigration was a little bit different than it is okay. now. You know, you could, uh, if you had family, you could call them, and you could be like, "Hey, you know, come here, and I'll sponsor you, and you know, you can stay with me." Okay. Very different times, mm. especially to to migrate to a country like the U.S. But it was. It was back then, you know, the the land of opportunity. The you know yeah. anything anything can happen, and and uh, basically, my dad, uh, we were very, very, very poor, very poor in Chile. Oh wow! Um, my dad was a taxi driver, and my mom was a school teacher, okay. and we were very, very poor. And um, yeah, so there was really not a lot of future for our family and. In Chile, so my my um, uncle was like, "Well, come and and see, try your luck here." Yeah, but uh, the thought teacher being a teacher over there, and to an extent being a taxi driver, would be quite a good job to have. But uh, maybe maybe like in a developed country, but okay. in Chile, uh, teachers even to this day are not very well paid unless you um, uh, work for like a private school. Mm. And my mom worked in. Um, just like a basic public school. Yeah. And uh it was it was a really tough life for 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 like our family. And yeah, so they they decided to try their luck in 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 the US, you know? Yes, there you are. So you're 5 years old, you just landed in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't even imagine you being there. Yeah. What what did you think of the whole vibe there? Um for me it was really 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 difficult. Um I had this um very very difficult confusion with language and um i didn't go to kindergarten until i was supposed to be like in first grade so i skipped kindergarten i i didn't get to go and really really um 
immerse myself in what it was like to be in a new culture with a new, completely different language, mm. you know? And so I was always, always up until I think eighth grade, I was always in ESL, which stands for English second language. Okay. Because my, I used to get really confused with um, like languages Surprise! It's foreign language. Yeah, I, I, I was just very difficult for me because Mm. at home my dad had like this rule that we couldn't speak English to them because he wanted us to retain our Spanish. So, because my dad always saw living in the U.S. as something temporary, and he always thought that we were going to go back, so he didn't want us to completely forget our Spanish. Mm. And so we had a rule in in the house that we couldn't uh, speak. Okay, Spanish. I mean English. So we just had to speak Spanish. And that really kind of like fucked me up because I was like, oh, my gosh. So I'm spending like eight hours at school speaking English and then I have to come home and I'm speaking Spanish. And if I don't speak Spanish the the way that my dad wants me to speak it. So there was this whole pressure. Yeah. And um, I think that that really, really screwed me over in terms of like learning, you know. But looking back now, though, I bet you're glad that you have got the Spanish language. I I do. I do. I'm very thankful for my dad kind of like... um, Making us not forget our Spanish, but I just wish he had gone about it in a different way where I didn't feel so pressured to speak it the way that he wanted it to be spoken. Because a lot of times if there for for whatever reason, you know, if we didn't say a word correctly and it wasn't because we weren't speaking correctly, it was because we were young and we didn't really know how to say those words because we didn't speak with anybody in Spanish besides them. So do you think that he brought you up quite uh, quite tough? Very, very. My dad was very, very, very strict. Very strict. Um, just very kind of like um, by the by the rules, by his rules, and even if his rules were very like strict, those were the rules that were there. Okay, and that was it. So how how did that work out then? When I'm guessing, what what, what age did you come out at? Um, I don't think I ever really, really came out to be honest until, no, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever came out to my parents and I told them that Mm. I was gay because you know, the thing for me, I, a lot of times I see that a lot of times people take a coming out as saying I'm gay and people just assume certain things about being gay. But for me, I think it was never about being gay. For me, it was about being myself. And okay. I think that it's just so happened that I that I am gay. But there was so much yeah. more to, to me being gay because as a kid, I was very, very flamboyant. I was very expressive. I was very artistic. Okay. I was in choir. I was in drama. I was in arts. Wow. I did, I did so many artistic things. I sang. I... <laughs> My mom uh, took me to piano lessons. I did piano. You know, I was a very, very artistic kid. And I, and right away from the very beginning, it was, okay, well, you know, he's different. And that difference wasn't automatic, because I'm talking like six, seven years old. And whenever you associate certain things to a seven, six-year-old, you don't automatically assume that they're gay because gay is usually attached to sexuality, you know? And and for a kid that's just six, seven years old, I don't think it's even appropriate or right to to, to say something like that unless, you know, because I think it's something so separate. You know, it was just, for me, it was a matter of expression. It wasn't about being gay. It was just about me being me. 
Yeah. You know what but I mean? But if, if you weren't gay, would that, do, you, do you honestly think that that would have been there inside you to be quite flamboyant, to be, or do you think that's part of your makeup? That's just part of who I am. Yeah. It's, I've always been that way. I've always, always been very extroverted in my, in, in some aspects, you know, I've always been um, just, I like to be happy and make people yeah. laugh and entertain people and to, it, it, that's just part yeah. of my personality. Um, I think that being gay is obviously uh, something that came to be bigger as I was yeah. getting older. But I never, like when I was six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, I never really thought that I, for me, there was no, I didn't really equate being gay with like uh, like sex or, because I wasn't you thinking, were, yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about just like, I know this sounds really stupid, mm. but I was thinking about like, unicorns and glitter and you know <laughs> and and dancing and and lip syncing yeah. and doing this and doing that and I was that kind of kid I was like kind of in a way I know this sounds really kind of like stupid but I was like really really innocent I loved oh, geez, uh, yeah, really? yeah I was can you wow. believe it no I I loved animals I loved mm-hmm. I loved dogs I loved cats I loved I was such like I was such a different kid. Like I, I just remember. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm gonna. I'm really gonna get emotional. Oh, that's all right. I can cry if you wish. No, yeah, I was just. I never see you cry. I never see you cry. No, I just, I just, I was just a very, very different kid. I was just, you know, and it's, it's. Oh my gosh, it's just difficult to kind of like tap into that because a lot of that innocence that I had, you know, um, was kind of like taken away from me because everybody was always gearing it towards that sexual thing about you know being gay and in my mind i always thought to myself you know i i just i am the way that i am i I don't see i'm not i don't see how people would connect certain things and tell an eight seven year old well to my dad like your kid likes to suck dick yeah but that's that's the problem that people love sexualizing yeah Agenda, uh, sexual, sexualizing gay straight because they don't they don't say oh at a young age um, you like to do this to a woman yeah. if you're straight exactly the problem is is that a lot of people only see gays when they're being gay as an adult exactly so they associate it with sex exactly and they and they would say mm. they would say stuff like that to my dad and my and obviously my dad would that would infuriate my dad because he did, did actually say that he sucks cock to your dad he might he would say like Jesus. yeah that he they, his his brothers would say you know like your 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 son is gay and he's going to be you know you know sucking dick and doing all this and oh i was gosh. a little kid and was, obviously you know those things would would really affect my dad and and they would they would make him lash out at me and you know they would they would make him say to me why can't you just be like a normal little kid why do you have to be so, you know, flamboyant? Why do yeah. you have to be so like this? And I knew that behind that at a very kind of like early stage, I was like, why, why am, why is he getting like these, these reaction towards me when yeah. I'm just being myself? Being a child, as any child would be. Exactly. Yeah. But then I, I, I understood, I understood the game that, that his brothers and not only his brothers but people that met me as met us as a family Mm. i understood the game that they were playing and i understood that they were feeding my dad the stuff of well your kid is like really weird 
And your kid is not only weird, but he's also gay. And if you don't know that, then you're obviously blind. And also, uh, gays are going to go to hell and all of this other, you know. So why didn't you lash out at them rather than like lashing out on you? What do you think? think Because my, 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 my family, you you know, you, you've been to South America. Oh, certainly have, yeah. Yeah. And in South America, um, families are very traditional. Mm. Very traditional. Regardless, my dad has never been a um, a religious man, but he's still very traditional. And and yeah. and, and, and in South America, you don't have to be religious to be traditional. Those are no, two yeah. very separate things. And I think that my dad just took out his anger on the person that was just easiest to take it out on. Because obviously, if he had taken it out on the adults that were telling him this stuff, the adults would obviously say something back to him and be like, yeah. well, no, honey, th- this is actually the way that it is. But since I was such a little kid, I couldn't really retaliate towards my dad. So I got the brunt of a lot of his issues. Um, And for me growing up, it was just like a very, very, very difficult time. Oh, my God. I can't I can't believe I'm getting emotional about this. I'm going to try to compose myself. But it was just a very, very difficult um, moment for me growing up. Okay. But how did that, so that happened when you was like a young child. Mm-hmm. Now you're taking this because from what you are now, then now, it, it's usually different. So at some point during this time, you found yourself decided you're not going to do what your dad did. Yeah. So going into your teens then, yeah. obviously you're changing quite a lot. Yeah. I think, I think that um, it was really funny because it came to a point, like I was telling you, when I was quote unquote innocent in terms of always wondering why people put so much shit on me like I I was really kind of a little bit naive in that mm. sense and I and I always used to equate myself making people uncomfortable because of the way that I was and I just thought to myself well people are are just uncomfortable with people being outspoken or being funny or being yeah. you know out there and outrageous and dancing and laughing and I, I, I always used to equate it to that I never thought that people didn't like me because they thought I was gay I, even even from what your dad was saying to you yeah. during the, during your yeah, child, I never, I never, I never, okay. I never really, I never really put two and two together. Yeah, until I um, reached you know junior high and things became mm. very clear, oh, very okay. clear because um, kids are mean, kids are mean, and 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 I, I'll say it like I I've said it before, but when you're growing up you're 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 constantly kind of like bombarded with so many things that you know as a kid make you doubt your your self-worth and i remember going into junior high and people really 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 taking the piss out of everything that i did everything 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 yeah uh from the way that i dressed from the way that i talked from the way that i um sat from the way that I drew from the way everything, everything there wasn't, okay. there wasn't an aspect of my personality that wasn't dissected and made fun of. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But surely that you're not the only person in that school that was maybe slightly flamboyant or no, slightly different. I, but uh, listen, I had a lot of things working against me because during that time we were living in a, in an area that was very kind of like, um, you have to think this was like eighties, mid eighties. And yeah. it was before like a lot of people in, kind of like majority of white you know middle class Mm. suburban there weren't a lot of latinos at the time um especially in the area where i was growing up in dallas yeah there were pockets of dallas that were very latino 
that have always had a lot of <laughs> Latinos. But where we were living, um, thankfully, by that point, my, my parents were actually working really, really hard. And yeah. they, they had managed to kind of like move us up in, I guess, quote unquote, society. And we were, yeah. we were kind of like uh, living where we probably shouldn't have been living in terms of okay. what society expected Latinos to live and to work and to make, yeah. you know. So it was, it was like I was Latin. Mm-hmm. In a place that there weren't a lot of Latinos, um, I was flamboyant. Oh gosh, I yeah. was just everything. I and the funny thing is, the the funny, the weird thing about all of this is that you would have thought that all of those things would make me recoil and and be try to fit in so much. But yeah. I always knew that I stuck out like a sore thumb. So I was going to just stick out. And I think wow. that that made me even more of a target because here was a person yeah. that not only was being made fun of constantly, but in a way, um, a lot of people told me like uh, they they thought that I didn't care, like that I that everything just that I was just happy and I was just like laughing all the time. And that was that was literally me. And, and, and I was always, you know, making fun and I was always like, you know, telling jokes yeah. and because I think it was a way to kind of like deflect of, of the real kind of like uh, the real pain that I was going through, you know, during the whole time that people were making fun of me. I was a teenager. Can you hide that so well? Considering it's an emotional time for you. Not only are you taking this bullying, you've grown up in a situation that you've been made aware that you're, you're different. Yeah. You've been bullied at school and then you've been completely happy about it. Yeah. That's, that's enough for most people to deal with. Yeah. And you've just rode through school with a happy face on there and you're still developing as the person you are today. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is that I think that I kind of like just came to terms with the fact that I just knew that it was just that was just like my my path. Yeah. And I and I wasn't going to fight it. And uh, later on, like when I started high school, I started getting really, really rebellious and my my outward happiness turned into not giving a fuck about school and my and and this is the the funny thing is that um when i was like in elementary school the very first parts of you know junior high i was actually a really good student i was very very studious i i got pretty good grades Mm. and when all of this started to happen i couldn't one thing had to give yeah i couldn't be a good student get all of this bullying and all of this laughing and all of this thing and be funny and be like I'm okay and also maintain the same good grades as I was keeping. It was impossible. Hmm. So obviously my grades suffered tremendously and all throughout, you know, the rest of junior high, uh, I was barely scraping by, barely, barely, barely scraping by. And then when I got into, you know, high school, um, it was just it was horrible. It was horrible because I found out because as you know, in the US as schools, as you move up, schools get bigger, more kids mm. start coming up, more kids. Oh, and gosh, then by the yeah. time you get to, to high school, you're, you're, you're dealing with like back then, um, junior high had like about maybe 500, 500, 600 students mm. in junior high. And then when you get to high school, you have like 1,200, you know, <laughs> yeah. students in your high school. Wow. And it's a fucking, it's another world because, yeah. you know, yeah, you, you, you do find your, your, your niche, but 
that niche doesn't accompany you everywhere to lunch, to this, walking in the halls. No. And I think that that is when I really started to realize that, wow, um, something, something's got to give here. Yeah. And, and the thing that gave for me were my grades. Yeah. My grades were, were awful. So, well, but by the time you got to the end of you need to resit, don't you, in America, if you don't do well? Yeah, yeah. You need. Uh, I, thankfully, I never, never repeated a grade. Never, no, never. not at all. Uh, no, I, I, and the thing is that I, I did a, a ninth, tenth, and I was supposed to start eleventh grade. And okay. when I was supposed to start eleventh grade, my parents moved back to Chile because during all of this, mm-hmm. all of this time, you know, high school, when I was becoming more rebellious and yeah. doing more things, I started to. Uh, find my group of people, my tribe, you know, okay. and, and I, and I was in choir, I was in jazz, I was in, you know, and I really, really loved it. And I, and I, and I started to hang out with these people and these yeah. people had cars and they were going places <laughs> and they were going out. Yeah. And my, my, especially my dad started to freak out. He was like, what the hell is going on? Like, okay, now, now not only are you flamboyant and you're, but you're finding people like you. Oh, so they were quite obvious in that sense as yeah. well. No, no, they, they weren't, they weren't, I don't know if all of them were gay or not, but I was, uh-huh. I was hanging out with, with just people that understood me or that accepted mm. me and thought, thought that I was hilarious and thought, you know, that, oh my gosh, you're so funny. But my dad was like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want, I don't want my, my 15, 14 year old to, to, okay do anything more of this mm. and he you know we had a huge family like meltdown and i remember there was a point where um i was calling gay hotlines okay. at, at the time mm. oh my gosh this makes me sound oh, so old but <laughs> you know there was no way of helping no way of anything so i I was so curious because I thought to myself, there has to be like some sort of help for, you know, people that, that I just want to talk to somebody that feels the way that I feel. Oh, so this, this hotline was a support line rather than a chat line. No, it was a chat support line. So you could have like various options. So you would be like, dial number one for blah, blah, blah. Dial number two to meet hot guys in your local area. Oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. But it also had like, it was like a switchboard really. It was like, I think, I think, I think it still uh, exists, but not like on, um, it's a hotline that I think still exists. But for me, I, I just wanted to chat to somebody uh, that just understood what I was going through. Yeah. And it kind of became an addiction because shit would happen at school. Yeah. And I didn't have anybody to tell. So I would call the hotline and I would like tell them like whomever was listening, you know, mm. what, what had happened during the, during the day. And it got to a point where, I was calling them every day. Wow. Yeah, every day. Oh, is now, this a premium service? No, no, it was free. Okay, cool. However, um, whenever the bill came, it was like this number would always oh, appear. Oh, no. It was ringing from home. Yeah. That okay. was the only place I had to, you know, we didn't have yeah. cell phones back then. So. <laughs> well, no, I didn't have to pay a box. Or <laughs> this is, honey, this is 1993. <laughs> no, I thought maybe a call box or something like that. Or. 93. <laughs> uh, so, you know... The, this at the beginning, it, the first month, it was like this number just kept on coming up, and my dad kind of like ignored it. And then the second month, because I was like, okay, thank God, you know, I I can still call and I can still get you know some 
some advice, you know, because in a way they kind of like helped me with a lot of things because a lot of shit was happening to me during that time. And I needed guidance because obviously nobody wanted to listen to what was going on in my life, you know, that yeah. aspect. And finally my, my dad called the number oh, and that's when just like, it, it just, wow. everything exploded. So to answer the, the very, very long, <laughs> long answer, I never really came out. I never, it, it was just like, uh, assumed, expected and exploded. That's, okay. that's what it was. But I'm, I'm moving forward that your parents both know the life, lifestyle that you lead now. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, definitely. Obviously, they know what you do as a living, and you've got the, the other podcast, Thirsty Bitch podcast out there. So at some point, when you've... Because they've gone back to Chile. Did you stay exactly where you were? Did you go back there, or did you come here to London? No, no, no. Um, I, I obviously, because I was underage, I was only 15, 14 years mm. old, I went back to Chile. Yeah. And that was just hell. It was hell. Okay. And it took a lot of years to kind of like get to a point um, where I don't think that my my parents um, understand me. I think they 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 love me, and I think they love me a lot, and I love yeah. them too. Um, but I don't think they get me. Yeah, at you, all. you were saying um, recently that you went. I think was it last year to Paris with your sisters and your mum. Yeah, and they're really concerned about the way you are and going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, and uh, they, they kept wanting to know how you were because you you go out as a micro. Yeah, and around that. So, it, yeah, I think I think that um, I think that my my especially my mom, my sisters not so much. I think my mom really worries about me because she thinks uh, sometimes that people could hurt me and it's every parent's worst fear you know that they don't want their kids to be yeah. beaten up or anything like that um i think that my mom and like i said i think both my parents love me very dearly mm -hmm. and i love them very much as well but there has to come a point where i think that you have to let bygones be bygones and be yeah. like you know what my parents love me that's all i need to know uh I don't need them to understand every single aspect of what yeah. I do because uh, all I know and all I feel from them is, and, and that's all that I need to know is that they love me and they, they may not understand me. They may not get me, yeah. uh, but I feel that they, that, that they love me. And I think that that's the most important thing. That's all I can ask for really. Yeah, of course. The, the, the love from a parent is probably the ultimate that you could have. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't get that as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, there there has to come a point in your life as an adult where you have to stop demanding things that aren't possible yeah. from, from parents. And I think that it's important. I, one of the things that I realized is that parents are just people. Yeah. And they brought you into this world, but that doesn't force them to understand every single detail of yeah. what you do hell i don't even understand all this <laughs> all the fucking details of what i do i don't think anyone so, does <laughs> so i wouldn't expect i wouldn't expect my mom or my dad to understand it but i know you know i went back to chile in may for like two weeks just mm -hmm. to have i really needed to talk to them yeah and it just proved to me just from the talks that we had that um they may not understand me but they love me love and you. i love them and that's what's important to me that's good. So all you've all you found is there. You've got you've got all that history behind you. Yeah. You've moved over to London at the age of. I think I was twenty nine or thirty. I think I was probably thirty. Oh, so quite late. So there's a so you went to Chile for quite a long time. Then after yeah. you left America. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I lived I lived in uh, Santiago for many years. Mm. I I had like a, a I started doing my my own life. I moved, 
you know, out of my parents' house yeah. at a very early age and started living my life in, in the capital of Chile. And, and I thought that that was good enough for me. But Chile is Chile. It's very, mm. it's still very, very, it, now it's not so much, but still a South American country. Yeah. It still has a lot of traditions, a lot of rules that you have to follow. Yeah. And if not, then, you know, you're, you're really, really kind of like cast off to the side. And I tried to, you know, live a, a quote unquote normal gay life in terms of as normal as it could be, you know, in, in Chile. But I never I never really got to go back to, to how I wanted to be in terms yeah. of expressing myself and, you know, being how I wanted to be and, you know, dressing, you know, looking the way that I yeah. had envisioned in my head for always and um, when I, I think, I think it was when I turned 30 because we were at a friend's uh, party and one of my friends asked me, he was like, oh my gosh, so I can't believe you're going to be turning 30 years old. He was like, what are you going to do for like <laughs> the rest of your life? And this was, mind you, this was, uh, this, Yo. this, this Debbie Downer bitch <laughs> was at a party asking me this fucking question. <laughs> I was already going through it because I was turning 30 years old, yeah. but this bitch asked me, he's like, I can't believe you're going to be 30. It's like, are you going to be doing what you're doing now for the rest of your life? Like, what do you want out of life? And I was like, oh my gosh, this bitch is testing me because this bitch knows <laughs> that. So I had two really good friends that uh, one of them was British. And, Gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, very good friends. They've always been good friends. Um, that that one of them was British and yeah. the other one was Chilean and, and the, the Brit he always talked about how amazing, you know, London was. Yeah. And then his Chilean boyfriend came <laughs> to London and he was like, listen, if you do anything in your life, please go to London yeah. once, just once. Yeah. And if, and if you don't like it and if you don't think that it is, you know what I'm telling you, Come back and, but you have to, he was like, just do it. You're going to be 30. Just do it. Go there for, you know, like, uh, how long is your visa? And I found everything out. I could, if I was chilling, I could stay for six months, um, and just see what it was like. And, uh, yeah. So it took me like probably like six, seven months to save up all my money. I was in a yeah. relationship at the time and we made a plan that I would go out first and, you know, my partner would come out later cause I wanted to sort everything out yeah. as much as I could really. And, uh, yeah, uh, I got here and I was so stupid because my friends actually lived in, in Hove in Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> so every time it would go out. Yeah. To like buy some food or something. I was like, oh my God, I love London. <laughs> and both of my friends, they were like, bitch, you're not in London. You're in Hove. I was like, okay, well, I still love it anyway. <laughs> so you weren't even, I wasn't even like a, an hour and a half on the train <laughs> away from London. <laughs> so at what point did you actually go into London? So obviously, you know, like we, uh, like at the weekend that we would come into London and it was just such a, I was so afraid of it. I was so afraid of London. Jeez. It was like, oh, really? oh my God. Yeah. It was just such a, so fast paced and everybody was like doing their thing and nobody gave a fuck about anybody and nobody gave a fuck about you. And it was just such, hmm. it was such a different time. I, I think, I think London has changed cause this was 2007. So this yeah. is like uh, about 11, 11, 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. <gasps> oh, oh gosh. Yeah. God. 
So yeah. we can figure out your age now. Yeah, honey, I'll say, I'll tell you, I'm going to be 43 this year and I don't give a fuck. You're nuts. Yeah, 43. This year? Yeah. That makes us very close in, in age. I mm-hmm. thought you was a lot older than I am. Oh, fuck. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were. So um, you, for people who don't know who you are, mm-hmm. obviously people who listen to our Thirsty Bitch podcast going to be all mm-hmm. over this. People who use share your social media will know who you are. Mm-hmm. Just describe the look you have now as a micro, because you were saying that you had to try and live a normal gay life, but you're clearly visually, when people look at you, you are not what people could describe a normal gay person. You, mm-hmm. you, you quite, so how would you describe yourself to anyone that's listening now thinking... Uh, this is this is kind of like a very, very kind of like uh, tricky question because I honestly don't like to describe myself in terms of, um, and I know that sounds really kind of annoying, but you know what? I'm the kind of person now that mm. with me being 43 this year, if I feel like doing something, looking a certain way, being a certain way, putting on a certain thing that, you know, maybe two years ago, I would have never thought that I would do it. Hmm. I'll do it. But it has to come from an organic place like within myself. Like yeah. I will literally do anything that makes me feel comfortable in my own skin. And I honestly don't think that uh, you can put a label. Maybe people can put a label on it. I've been called a cross-dresser. And if you want to call me a cross-dresser, that's fine. Hmm. And then people are like, no, but wait. Most cross-dressers put on wigs, and you don't put on a wig. And most cross-dressers, you know, they have a 5 o'clock shadow, and you don't have a 5 o'clock <laughs> shadow. Most cross-dressers like to wear this. And, and I'm like, listen, because it's it's the questioning yeah. that, that, that sometimes really uh, gets people. And I think that it's just like, listen, if you enjoy talking to somebody, whether that be me, whether that be you, mm. whether that be whoever that you're talking to, and they look, act differently, and you like them, you don't have to give them a label. You don't have to, you, you don't, know, but that's- you, you don't have to. And if and if you do, maybe in your head, label them as how you think that you th- yeah. you can identify that. But I think it's it's quite unfair to kind of like try and label people without them being comfortable with that label. Yeah. I am not comfortable with any label except the fact that I'm gay. I know that yeah. I'm gay, and that's you know what that's good enough for me. Anything under under that umbrella, uh, I choose and yeah. I pick because I'm already different because of that. I'm already different because I'm gay because the majority of the people, obviously, they're straight. Yeah. But I'm already different because I'm gay. <laughs> now, how I choose to express myself has nothing to do with being gay because it has things to do with the way I view life, the way that I visually look at things, the way that I, mm. you know, uh, I don't like it when people put you in norms of how a boy should look boys should be blue and girls should be pink yeah. and and if and if you're really open-minded then you should paint the baby's room yellow because <laughs> lemon <sighs> lemon color and not give him a gender <laughs> bitch <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah. so i i to answer that question i think that it i i don't define or put a label on me no. if you want to Go ahead. I think it's a difficult situation because it's so conditioned in our life that something has to have a label. You know, like mm-hmm. that's a bag of nuts, that's yeah. this, that's tomato ketchup, that's salad. Yeah. It's it just in in so if they cannot see what they've been told to look out for, yeah, 
it kind of it messes people's heads. It I mean, does. We went uh, January this year. Yeah, January this, this year. year yeah. Didn't we to Manchester? Yeah. And because up the north, I don't have y'all look up there at the moment currently. Uh-huh. It's kind of a mindfuck. It's like, yeah. It I think blows yeah. Away. I, th- I think I think that a lot of times, um, a, a little bit of what we were talking about, like a lot of times people tend to um, project their own insecurities and their own things onto you because mm. you look so different you're an easy target yeah like i know i'm an easy target uh whenever people whenever i go out like we did in manchester yeah. and and people were questioning and they were asking and they were just very inquisitive and i took it a, in a very maybe wrong way because i actually got quite annoyed and offended no. by it <laughs> i did <laughs> I got really. I wish you could have seen pictures of that night. I I was really annoyed because I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck?" It's like I I was just going out and and to be honest, people mm. were actually really nice to me. I think that I was just very very annoyed with the questioning, and it was like everywhere we went, everywhere we went, and it got to a point where I was like, <laughs> the amount of eye rolling and side yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah, like I'm done. Like I just yeah. I was I was just done. But I think, you know, it comes with the territory of, you know, if you look different, be prepared, like you said today, be prepared for a lot of looks. Yeah, but that doesn't always help, though, because you were saying to me earlier today that the last time that we met, you had to get the public transport, which you don't normally do. No, I don't. And even though you've put yourself out there, you've known from a very young age, this is who you are and this is how I expect myself. Yeah. And, uh, but you said it still, it got you a lot. I mean, you're 42 now and it really got you on the tube. Yeah, it really, it really did. Because I, I just felt a little bit overwhelmed and I've never, I'm, I'm not the kind of person to say, oh, I had like an anxiety attack. I don't, I don't suffer from that. And it would be, it would be really, really kind of like disingenuous of me to say that because I don't suffer from that. And I don't want to put that onto, because I know real people that go through that. Yeah. But it got to a point where I think I it was a mixture of like what I said, my paranoia, the actual fact that people couldn't stop fucking staring at me. Yeah. And then coupled with my paranoia, just kind of like and it just got to a point where it's just overwhelming. And I had to just like take a step back, get off the tube and, um, you know, chill out for a bit because I w- I'm just not used to um being in a confined space of people always like judging and looking and pointing and, you know, telling the person next to them, Oh my God, look at that one. Look at that one. Look at that one. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh my God. Wow. Okay. I need, I need to, I need to get out of here. Yeah. You know, and it's difficult on the two because where are you, where are you going to escape? <laughs> I can see you doing a, a mission impossible. Yeah. Yeah. One. Mission, yeah, the, yeah. Each one of the dolls. Going or, <laughs> or stopping the whole entire fucking train. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm a drama queen, but I'm not that bad. Oh, she's a drama queen. I'm not that bad. So let's talk about your relationship then. So you you managed to, it must have been pretty much soon after you moved to London, mm-hmm. being who you are, because the, the way you dress or the way you express yourself now, did you do that in Chile or was it no. only when you came here? No. Mm-mm. Now, mind you, I've always been a person that has been very much into makeup. I always lo- I've always mm. loved makeup. I've always loved, you know, like, like I was telling you, when I was a little kid, I was very, very much into the arts. I was yeah. very much, but that got whittled away very quickly from my, all of my experiences. Yeah. So there was a part of me that was very confined, very restricted. Uh, but my personality was still always kind of like the same. And yeah. I think that once I got here to London, I started, London gave me, which is, I am so forever thankful for that because London gave me the ability to literally explore myself 
which mm. I never, I never had the opportunity. And, yeah. and, and it, and it, and it took me to a place where I, like I said, I just went there naturally. I went to a place where I felt comfortable dressing the way that I want to dress. And then not only that, but then people actually like hiring me, booking me and, you know, <laughs> can we make it clear when there's a hiring and booking i'm not talking about a hooker <laughs> you are you're a dj is yeah, i'm a dj i'm not i'm not a hooker i may look like a hooker <laughs> i think you're working on the principle that everyone knows you there's people oh, listening yeah, yeah. going when people uh, hire, hire me, me. Yeah. <laughs> so on that the street <laughs> when i was walking the street people started hiring me and they're like oh girl we like your look jump into my car <laughs> <laughs> your, your fishnet tights all ripped is that how you met your partner then how did that come about no i didn't i didn't oh my gosh i met uh, my partner if you can believe it or not, this sounds. This is going to be really embarrassing. Um, I met him on Manhunt. Do you remember that? Wow, is that still mm-hmm. going? No, no, honey, this was two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Manhunt was was really popular. You know, it was popular in America. It wasn't here really so much. Oh, really? Okay, it, it, it was known, but no, it was all gay dot com, gay da, uh, gay Romeo. I think played yeah. Romeo for a little while. Yeah. So yeah, we met there, and um, I was still in my previous relationship. So yeah. <sighs> Do yeah, tumbleweed. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, I need a yeah. sound effect. Yeah, like that. a sound <laughs> effect, right? Um, yeah. So it was it was a very very difficult situation. But you know what? I had to being the way that I am. I I had been controlled for such a long time in my life that when I got to London, I literally threw caution to the wind. Yeah. So I thought to myself, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all the way. And I'm going to explore every avenue of what I can explore being in London. Mm-hmm. So when I say to you that London opened this door up, it literally just the floodgates. Yeah. They were open and they weren't closing. <laughs> and, they and, they, <laughs> and they haven't closed since. <laughs> they have not closed since. No. So, you know, like I, I really attribute it to... Uh, being in a place where, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that London is perfect and that London, oh, no. you know, oh, come to London. No, but for me, in my personal experience, London gave me the freedom to explore aspects of myself. And yeah, of course, I'll be judged always, no matter where the fuck yeah. I go. Um, but it was less here. Yeah. It was less. So what do you, when, when, when you moved to London then, how, how was that... Um in regards to, to, to work in an environment, did you always, did you start off being a DJ and, and no. was this the thing or did you get like a regular job? For no, it? I, I like, I, I think I, I think I mentioned this like in the last podcast of Thirsty Bitch. I started uh, <laughs> working um, at QX writing reviews mm-hmm. for a QX magazine. Yeah. And all the while I was, uh, which is, well, this is very ironic. All the, all my childhood years, I had, um, uh, had difficulties with, uh, speaking you know spanish english confusion yeah. and then when i got here uh they asked me uh if i you know taught english and i taught english yeah to i taught i taught esl which i was an esl yeah so okay. yeah so i did that for like two years and then i i started working with uh i did like summer school and then i started focusing on stuff that i really wanted to do because yeah, yeah. you know that was okay and it and it paid pretty well yeah but i wanted something that i've always been attracted to the nightlife so i I, (laughs) you know i had a blog back in 2009 and i had quite the wit for writing and doing all this stuff and um qx uh 
read one of my articles and they were like, oh my gosh, your articles are so funny. We really mm. like you to come and, and write for us. And I was like, write for, for QX? What do you do? And they were like, oh, we you can do like uh, club reviews and mm. we send you out and we send you and a photographer out. And yeah, right about the night and we get you in for free. And yeah. that's when the whole nightlife thing kicked off. And this was 2009. So, so 2009. Yeah, 10 years in. Yeah. I, I wrote for them two thousand. I wrote for them for like about three years. But hmm. well, working on the night scene, though, you must have seen it. There's a lot that goes on the night scene. It's yeah. very easy to get caught up in yeah. like a toxic environment. Yeah. So, what are the kind of things that did you go through that process of getting really involved in it and then having to step back from it? Or you know what? I think I think that I know this makes me sound like such a granny, but even even in two thousand and nine. The gay scene was so different than what it is right now. It is so different. I mean, I mean, I remember going to uh, you know these new venues like Ducky and you know oh, yeah, you, you know like all Still of going. these yeah, but all mm. of these places that you know uh, Joiner's Arms and it all of these places they would send me to, which I had never experienced before. So for me, I wasn't a regular. I was like an outsider. I just yeah. had like a wit, uh, like a knack for writing and, and making things funny. Mm. Um, but I never really, really felt part of that uh, scene because I was still, you know, I was an outsider. I, mm. I'd never been to Europe in my life. I'd never been to the UK in my life. So I, I still, I always felt a little bit like I'm an outsider. Yeah. Um, Especially like the way that people were like, oh, where are you from in America? And I was like, I'm not from America. <laughs> but it was like, okay, then uh, why, why are you faking an American accent? I'm like, I'm not faking an American accent. Trust me, if there was an accent I wanted to fake, it would not be American. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I never got, really got caught up in the scene. So I never, I never experienced the pitfalls, I think, of, of mm. being 100% in that environment, yeah. you know. And like I said, the scene was completely different. Yeah. Completely different. I think everything from, I mean, we've all seen the state globally, especially in the UK, but we've all seen the state of what's, what's happening in the scene. I mean, I think there's something like 80% or 70% of all the, the LGBT. If you listen to our Thursday Beach podcast, we've been talking about yeah. this exact thing, but a lot of them has disappeared now. Yeah. We've got the integration and that. So how have you felt that with the more integrated and accepted we've got? Has that been a positive thing for you or has it been quite a negative you know what? For me, it's actually been quite a positive thing because back even like when I stopped writing for QX, um, a friend of mine started a very, very, very popular night uh, in London that was called Room Service. And uh, when Room Service started, uh, you know, it was revolutionary. Mm -hmm. um, the pictures, the images that were coming right. out of, you know, everybody wanted to go to Room Service. Yeah. And... Uh, they did a book on room service and you know i have a picture in that book ah, really? yeah i do i'll, I'll show you the picture it's yeah. it's me holding an ice putting it into my mouth so <laughs> i think i've seen that yeah i think i might have seen that picture yeah, yeah yeah so i mean these and thanks to that friend which i will forever be thankful for because he was the one that really pushed me into it was a very weird thing with him because he really kind of like believed he saw something in me i think and these are the people that you meet in, in alcohol. probably <laughs> a lot of alcohol, a lot of gin soaked alcohol in, in the ice. I don't know. I just, I, he was always telling me, he was like, um, you're, he was like, you know, so much about music, mm. you know, so much about music because we always talk about music. He was like, have you ever thought about DJing? And I was like, no, I was like, I don't, 
oh, why am I going to do that? I just want to go out and be fabulous. <laughs> and he was like, no, he was like, you're going to have to do something because you're, and he told me this way back in 2011, he mm. was like, you're, you're going to do something and you're going to really make a difference. Like in this, he was like, back then he was like in the shitty night scene, he was like, you've got to do something. He was like, push yourself and never conform to what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And despite the fact that we don't, me and that friend don't talk anymore. Those, <laughs> those, those words, <laughs> those words will stick with me forever because you know, he, he, he really did push. And after that, um, I will say that I, I, um, started DJing and mm. it just, it kind of like just took off. And I do have to mention a little, a little mention too. Um, the one that actually taught me how to, to do a mixing DJing was actually Zach Burns. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, beautiful Zach. Yeah. He, did. Like Zach, he, he, he was the one that, uh, he like lent me his like whole track thing. And oh, yeah, no, him. he was, he was really sweet. He was, re and to this day, like I still, I still talk to him. So it's, it's just, it's a very different scene. I, I, don't think that anybody nowadays would take the time to show a DJ no. that could potentially take away your work. No. I mean, like, this is how you DJ, bitch, <laughs> fuck you. You know I what I mean? A lot of DJs are very precious. And oh, yeah. We've, we, we've only been talking recently about there's a lot of bad-mouthing going oh, on, yeah. a lot of gossiping, a lot of interference, and the whole scene thing. I think one, one thing that's different about me to you is, yeah, I do DJ, but I kind of, I, I keep quite a lot away from the gay scene now, yeah. but you're... 100% pretty much in there yeah. as well. So, and you have a look. So you're really wide open to a lot of gossip. And, and oh, in yeah. London, that can be really damaging. Yeah. And also very kind of like um, time consuming and annoying. I, yeah. I think that it just, you know, when you know certain, uh, certain facts about mm. what people are trying to gossip about and you're like, well, technically <laughs> it's not like that, but girl, go ahead and run your mouth because if you yeah. want to do that, go ahead. But, uh, you know, Going back to, you know, like what we were talking about, um, room service completely changed the the nightlife here. Yeah. And then, you know, nights, which I was also a part of, Gigolo, completely changed. And then from that moment on, uh, things just really started to take off for me. I started DJing, you know, not only here in the UK, but I was DJing at Pride Festivals in Finland. Then I started going to, you know, Berlin a lot. I started yeah. DJing at GMF. I, I did a whole year, uh, uh, not year, uh, six months residency in Mykonos. So, and this was all based upon the fact that not only did uh, did the music that I played, uh, it kind of like resonated yeah. with the people, but it also had to do a lot, a lot with the look that I was forging yeah. and that I was, you know, creating. Because if you compare me to when I first started, you know, like 2012, 2011 is a very, very different to how I am now, because now I think I've found a style and I found something that really suits my personality now. Yeah. And, you know, I can only uh, think that from here on out, um, it's going to be something that if I feel it, I'll do it. Yeah. If I don't, I won't. Yeah. No, that's one thing that you told me a few months ago and that changed the way I, I, I guess work on a day to day, day basis because I was literally running my ass off doing all these yeah. kind of different jobs. And I remember sat with you yeah. in your living room and you went, girl, I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. Yeah. Which is great because I decided I'm going to cut a bit more work uh, yeah. down and focus on the podcasting side of things yeah. and a little bit more of the fun stuff. But I think that's quite a good thing to actually take on board. At some stage in your life, you need to only yeah. focus on what makes you happy. 
Because you get one life. Exactly. And, and the other thing is, is not only is it because of the whole one life aspect, but sometimes you, you're wasting so much energy on things that get you absolutely no, yeah. nowhere. And I've come to a point in my life where I've realized that m- having money is wonderful. Having money is fabulous. <laughs> and having money is, allows you a lot of things that you can do because you have that money. But a lot of times, if you really start to look at it and you have like these hundreds or maybe thousands of pounds in the bank, but then you take a look at your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I am really miserable. Yeah. I am miserable. I'm overworked. I'm stressed. I'm tired. I have panic attacks. I have anxiety. But yet you have 10,000 pounds in the bank. <laughs> and and you sit there and you start accumulating and accumulating, yeah. but for what? For what? And then one day you're on a treadmill, you drop dead because you have a heart attack. <laughs> wow! Nice to bring it down. I mean, listen, sure, I, yeah. I've 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 met I've I've heard a lot of people that have been a little maybe a little bit younger yeah. than I am, but that these things literally happen to them. It's like they they sit there and they save all this money and they save and they save yeah. and they save, and then they one day to the next they drop dead and it's like, yeah. And do, do you know the, the the funny thing is the stress levels. Do you know what the worst time of week is? I should say that the time of week that most people have heart attacks are. Mm-hmm. Have a guess when that is. What time of week? What when? Monday. Monday morning. Yeah. There's more people having heart attacks apparently on a Monday morning through a stress combined. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it it just ma- it makes sense to me because you know. Yeah, People are looking for dreading, you know, they're dreading Mm. that day. And I think that it just, you know, it elevates their blood pressure. They get all, and I just don't have time for that. And I, and I, and and it's, and it's kind of like something that I've always, um, tried to do, especially like in the last three years, especially in the last three years, if I, if I'm not feeling it, I just, I just won't, I won't do it. That's a good way to live your life. Just before we do go, though, you've done all this uh, unite life. It does take its toll, and you're not getting any younger, any younger. love. <laughs> so, what is it that you do to, to? What is your like guilty pleasure of relaxing? And what do you like to do on a personal level? Because a lot of people see you as a micro. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not that kind of person when you're at home and you're in your joggy bottoms. So, mm-hmm. what is the thing that you like to do to unwind? Um, I really like to disconnect myself 100. And when I mean 100%, I mean 100% from the whole entire night life. We were talking about this. I'm a real big astronomy nerd. I, I know this <laughs> You just really... lost your credibility yeah, to half the gay I know. I love, uh, I love like exploring and knowing about different planets and it just makes me sound like such a huge nerd, but I love it. Back when I was, uh, you know, in high school, I was very interested in astrology and I, and I loved astrology and I studied a little bit of astrology. So I, I'm, I've always been into astronomy, astrology. And when I, when I like what you were asking, when I disconnect, I like to watch, uh, documentaries on planets and I love to watch NASA (laughs) channel and I just, Gosh. It's great to hear this because this is a part that nobody ever sees about. I you. know, and that is, and it's probably going to make people be like, "Oh, this this bitch, <laughs> this bitch," talking about you know putting their ass out there, but then looking at the stars, at the moon, at Jupiter. I've literally seen you walk around town with your ass sticking yeah. out on high heels, looking yeah. like a street streetwalker, mm-hmm. and then you're sat at home in jaggy bottoms watching about Venus and Uranus. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a treat. What a treat. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining me on this episode of Shades of Gay. It's really nice to actually sit and actually get to know. Oh, uh, well, thank you. It was, it, was, it was really, really nice. I think it's, it's such a good thing to be able to get to know a little bit about 
Not you. only me, but <laughs> no, not only me, but what you're doing with a series. I think it's very important to have because everybody that you've had on your podcast mm. so far has been extremely different to yeah. each other. And I think that it's important because it's exactly what the you know the podcast says. It's right. shades of gay. We're not all the same color. We're not yeah. all the same way. And it's good that we're not. It is very good as well. It makes the world a lot more of an interesting place. So, uh, yeah, join us again for another episode, which will be coming up in uh, a week or so time, Shades of Gay. But if not, we are jointly together yes. working on Thirsty Bitch. Thirsty Bitch. Podcast. Oh, my gosh. And the last one we recorded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you've not heard that, then do a search for Thirsty Bitch on Spotify and on Tuning as well and all the other streaming services. I'll go across to thirstybitch.co.uk. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.